And so we have been looking at uh, the insights from First Samuel. Uh, basically, if we can say it the other way, it is uh, we are looking at the, some lessons that we can draw from uh, First Samuel. Uh, quite a lot of lessons that we can learn. It is amazing that um, we can't we can't finish First Samuel in one week. Uh, so far, we have only done the f uh, first uh, three chapter, uh, three bars, chapters, brother. And so. Um, we began on Sunday, and we looked at chapter 3 of First Samuel. Uh, for those who are not in, that chapter basically deals uh, with uh, the dispensation between Eli and Samuel, where the Bible says, begins by saying that in those days, the word of God was rare. It was cursed, and the visions were rare, and I said that basically it means that uh, the word used there is that uh, the visions of God were not pushing through. Uh, that God was still speaking, but they were not breaking through the people. Um, and we, as you read through that chapter, you begin seeing what happens to uh, Eli and his family, the two sons. Uh, the Bible says that the two sons of Eli were wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord said, uh, because of the sins of the young men and because you as the father Eli did not restrain them, I'm going to cut you off uh, from the priesthood of, of Israel. And so we said that the lessons we learn from uh, chapter 3 is that one is that children can minister to the Lord. And we say that we need to teach the children to minister before the Lord because in due time they begin ministering to the Lord. The Bible says that um, Samuel was ministering before the Lord in the presence of Eli. And later on, the Bible says, Samuel didn't know the Lord. Hello? So, in which God was he ministering? And so, we said it's good that we bring the children to the church to learn spiritual, religious things. They may not have a personal intervention, um, encounter, but with the time, they will have a personal encounter. And instead of ministering in the presence, they minister not with the Lord. Okay? And we said, so we need to discipline our children in the way of the Lord. And we also saw something very important. We said that when you obey your elders, when you obey people in authority, that obedience will usher you to the next level of anointing. Remember that? And we gave an example of Samuel. We said that technically, if it were today, not many teenagers will have woken up in the morning at the calling of an old man whose eyesight was failing and he was fat. But Samuel was unique. He woke up three times to go to Eli. And on the third time, Eli told him, when the Lord speaks, say, your servant is here. Speak, Lord. If Samuel didn't go for the third time, he would not have gone the next level of anointing. It challenges my life. And looking at the life of Samuel, you can see that Samuel is rising as Eli is going down. It's always easy to obey people who are always above you, who seem they have things together, who you admire. But the things who are going, people are going down a lot, then it's not easy to obey them. 
but the scripture encourages us that we need to honor people both who are above us and, 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 and below us. And I give an example of Naaman and the servant girl. If Naaman didn't listen to the servant girl, he would not have been healed from leprosy. And so he said, in life, for you to go to the next level of anointing, you will need to obey those above you. And we give a new question that obey your father and your mother in the Lord that you may have good life. It may go well with you and you may have a long life. And the question he asked is, what is the relationship between obeying your father and mother and long life? Remember that? And we say it's the same thing in the Bible, in Proverbs chapter 8. It says, when you gain wisdom and understanding, you will get favor and long life. Same equation. Two plus two is equal to long life. Three plus one is equal to four. So when you get knowledge and wisdom, you get long life. And so we said, when you learn to obey those people above you, you begin learning discretion. The Bible says, the lips of a wicked man or an immoral woman drips honey. And her mouth is smooth as oil. But a man with wisdom shall escape her. And we say it, that's in Proverbs chapter 5, that's discretion. And later on, actually, when you read in Ecclesiastes, it says, remember, it's, it's an immoral woman and immoral man. It says that I have seen one thing evil under that, um, I've seen one thing evil on the face of the earth. That there is a woman whose hands are like fetters, like chains. Okay? And the Bible says, but a righteous man shall escape her. There are men who are so smooth, who are like chains. They speak to you and as the lady say, you are in the box. But a righteous woman shall escape her. Why? God gives you discretion. Because you have learned to listen from him. He will just say one word one day and it will conflict with what you have heard from your parents. And you say, though this man is smooth, he is not my type. You will escape her obedience. And we finished sorry, number three, we say that um, in life just like the way Eli pointed Samuel to the Lord though he was going downhill we say that in life you will always need someone to point to your next level of anointing. That is a spiritual principle that you cannot run away from. And so John the Baptist comes and says, see, there comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So for you to go to the next level of anointing, you will need someone to point you to that. And the last one, we say that God's wrath is like a laser-guided missile. Remember that? And we said that if the anger of the Lord is against you and his wrath, it doesn't matter where you go. You will run away from the witchcraft in Kitui and you will be the only one who will die in Washington, Washington, D.C. Brethren, there is, a, there is a story that I had. I don't know whether you saw it on social media. There's the only American man who died in Ducey. I'm not saying it was the wrath of God, but it was a very strange story. The only American who died in... Did you follow that story? He was called Jason or something. This man, during the 9-11 uh, in America... He was interning at the, uh, uh, the, trade, the, National trade, uh, the International Trade Center. He was an intern, young man. And the story says that he just woke up from his desk 
went to the lift, and a few seconds he took the lift, the first plane hit that, that building, and he escaped, and all his colleagues died. Just him alone. But in two city, he is the only American who was killed. I'm not saying it was wrath. But it's a very st strange story, right? He escaped in America only to die. But it's a good parallel. And we also say it that when the favor of the Lord is upon you, it's like a laser-guided missile. It just follows you. It follows your offspring. It follows your work. Whatever you touch succeeds. Amen. And we give good examples of, of the favor of the Lord upon the people in the Bible and the wrath of God. This day, today as I was driving here, the Lord reminded me of certain man who uh, encountered the wrath of God. Remember we gave an example uh, on Sunday of a few people who encountered the wrath of God. Uh, we gave the example of, uh, of yes, of the priest Apimelech. Uh, and, and, and the sons of Eli. The Bible says that when God promised that he's going to wipe them out, he actually followed through and wiped them out. One, 20 years later, a guy comes, David, is, comes and cheats, lies to one of the uh, priests and says, give me bread and give me the sword because I've been sent by the king when it's not the truth. And a certain man called Doeg had it and went and reported to Saul. And Saul wiped out the whole village of the five priests. Okay, and the word of the Lord was fulfilled. But today I was reminded of another one. There's a certain king in the Bible who the Bible calls him the most wicked king ever in the commonwealth of Israel. Remember that king? Every time the Bible mentions his name, they add the son name, they add that, they say, and this king, the son of Nebat, caused Israel to sin. Remember that? Every time they mention his name, everywhere. I said, God, please, I do not want to be mentioned like that in life. Every time they mention his name in the Bible, they have to add another suffix or a prefix. And this man caused Israel to sin. What is his name? Jeroboam, right? The son of Nebat. He's the first man who institutionalized Baal worship in Israel. And so at a certain point, God was not happy with him and he came to judge him. And the Bible says that there is another God sent a man, a man of God to him and he found this king offering sacrifice on an altar. And the prophet tells him, told the king that look here the king on that altar in Bethel that you are offering sacrifice God shall raise a young man called Josiah and upon that altar he will burn your bones on that altar. Remember the story? And the king said he was not so amused because here comes a man, a non-script priest, a, a prophet, who is rebuking him in the presence of his subjects. And so he's not, he's not amused. So he said, can you seize that man? And the Bible says his hand with that. And he cried and said, can you please entreat your Lord that my hand can be healed? And the Lord, <laughs> Lord is strange, right? And this man of God prayed for him and his hand was restored. Remember? And then this king dies a nice death and is buried and life goes on. Alright? It's not been fulfilled, the wrath of God. And 300 years later, 
another king is raised in Israel, a righteous man. And they stumble on the book of the law. And this king reads the book of the law and he realizes that they have been worshiping Baals and other things. And he commands that everyone now, we are going to burn all the Baals and restore worship. And they do that. And he did not just stop there. He decided that I'm going to burn down all the high places. Hello? And goes to Bethel to burn, because that's where it began, where the Baal worship was there. And he arrives there and he destroys all the high places. And the Bible, as he was moving away, he notices, he notices tombs, burial places. And he's so enraged by divine wrath that the others, people says, can you go in those tombs and get all those things that are inside, including the bones, and let's burn them. And they burned the bones. And that man was called Josiah. And immediately he burned, as he was walking away, he noticed another grave. And so he asked, and whose grave is this? People told him, this grave belongs to the man who prophesied about what you have just done. So the people knew all these 300 years that God prophesied about judgment. And this man is called Josiah. His mother just gave him birth. And among the names, among Skinadenis and Jorog and what, he gave him the name of Josiah. And the man fulfilled the will of God. The wrath of God. The story of Ahab. Ahab decides to betray the Lord and goes to the war and disguises himself uh, with the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, wearing jeans and you know hiding. And the armies of Syria chased Jehoshaphat, thinking that he is actually the king of Israel, because they had been sent to only chase the king of Israel. And when they arrived to Joshua, they realized that he's not the actual, the actual king. And the Bible says one man just drew his arrows at random and shot. And this arrow went like this, like this, like this. And the Bible says it struck Ahab in the middle of his breastplate. Not anywhere. It just went where there is a little gap inside there and killed him. Lesser guided Messiah. So why does the Lord give us these stories? For one reason that it may contrast with the life that we believers live. Because what is true that side is true on this side. So for us believers in Christ Jesus, it follows, favor follows us, us. I think we have done a good justice for those who did not come on Sunday and yesterday. Now, let's come to the yesterday. I see Brother Alisa was not here. Let's help him to catch up in a few minutes so that tomorrow we can be on the same page. Now, yesterday, we followed up that lesson and said, we understand why the Lord killed Eli's sons. It's very clear from scripture. They were corrupt and immoral. Okay? They did not fear the Lord. Then we said, we also understand why God killed Eli. Because from scripture, it appears that the Lord had warned Eli between the first prophecy in chapter 2 and chapter 3, it seems there had been an interface of time. That God had given Eli enough time to repent. But he didn't take the opportunity. And that's why, if you read the first prophecy in chapter 2, and the prophecy that God gives Samuel is identical, except one thing. In the second one, the Lord says, 
and the sin of Samuel and his son, I mean Eli and his son, cannot be atoned by sacrifice or offering. He's saying this one is a concluded case. I gave him enough time to repent and to teach his son's lesson and remove them from priesthood, but he has not done it. Therefore, there is no any time for repentance. It's injury time. And so, Eli dies because of the foolishness of his children and because he didn't take time to correct the error and repent. So we know why Eli died. But the question we asked yesterday is, but why kill the entire generation? Hello? Why did the Lord decide to judge the entire generation from Eli? And so we look at the scriptures. And our reference was Hosea 6, 4, 6, which says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. It goes forward to say, there it is, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I will also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your, law of your God, I will I also will forget your children. Very deep scripture. In that piece of scripture, what you learn there is that these people had been given an opportunity to select knowledge. Knowledge had been offered as an option. They chose, they didn't choose knowledge, they chose foolishness. But the most mind-boggling one is the last sentence, which says, because your forefathers, the fathers rejected knowledge, I am also rejecting the children. So it appears there is a correlation between the choice of children by the father and the love of knowledge by the parents. And then he said, it appears, therefore, that if parents don't possess knowledge, the Lord will not choose the children. And we said, why? Because God does not also trust the children, that you can only pass to your children what you possess. If you don't have knowledge, information, there's nothing you will pass. Therefore, God cannot trust your generation. And we learned about knowledge from, uh, uh, from Proverbs chapter 8.